Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we now have Matt Markham, the key account manager, a key account manager. I'm sure you have several key account <laughs> managers from Sensirion here at Methane Mitigation. Matt, welcome to ESG Energize. Thank you. Tell my audience, who is Sensirion? What are you guys doing here? Right. So, Sensirion at its core is a sensor manufacturer. Okay. We've been around for over 25 years, and uh, our history is um, manufacturing sensors, innovating, uh, miniaturizing, and scaling technologies. Miniaturizing and scaling technologies. Right. Okay, you got to give me more on that, dude. <laughs> so, uh, sensors, uh, as electronics and, and things get smaller, um, and more complex, they, the underlying sensors need to be smaller in order to fit inside different types of packaging. Okay, give me an example of, give me a case study, an example of your sensors, where they are, what you're doing. Sure. So uh, we operate in several different industries, medical, mobile, electronic, consumer goods, um, and now into the oil and gas industry, uh, as well as automotive. Ah, okay. So, what are you doing? What are you doing for us? So, we're here to just inform everybody about our technology. Um, recently launched a new generation sensor into the industry. So, uh, when we looked into getting into the oil and gas industry, uh, we saw a real need for and a niche for what our core competency is. Um, and so that would be. Give what, me an example. Right. So when you look at the industry currently, the major players are using metal oxide technologies, which are kind of a very good um, general, uh, what people refer to as a smoke alarm. Yeah. So they do a good job at identifying that there's a leak, giving you a rough idea of where things are, uh, where the leak is coming from, but they really struggle in a lot of areas like quantification. Um, moving forward with all the different regulations and things that are coming out um, and also different uh, certification bodies like OGMP, uh, you're going to require a lot more um, accuracy and reliability within the sensor. Uh, that's just not something that can be met with the current um, technology. So. What we saw is the common technology being metal oxide, very good, uh, cheap sensor, um, very low cost, but it's not going to get you there in regards to uh, accuracy and reliability. And then you have the high-end type technologies like TILDOS and laser spectroscopy, but typically speaking, those are very expensive technologies and most oil and gas customers or companies um, find that too expensive to scale across a large number of sites. Okay. So with our ability to uh, miniaturize and scale technologies and make them cost affordable, that's where we saw our niche. And do you guys collaborate, work with 
partners that are capturing and aggregating the data that's coming off of the sensors, or do you have your own solution that accompanies the sensors themselves? So, I mean, we do consider ourselves a full solution where okay. we provide all the data and, and, you know, the technology. That being said, when oil and gas customers are using a technology stack, they're receiving all different types of technology from different solution providers, and that data typically needs to be or aggregated because it's a it's a lot of information to ingest and organize in a way that they can use efficiently to report okay okay what is your geographic footprint so I'm sure as an organization you may have a larger geographic footprint than you do just in oil and gas but right. you know, what is it for the oil and gas business uh, for the oil and gas business right now we're focusing mostly in North America as the biggest market we also do uh, focus on the European market as well okay what's what's the future look like for you guys uh, it looks pretty bright. <laughs> <laughs> Especially right now. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, with the ability to provide a, a very high-end, highly capable sensor at a very low cost, um, it, it's kind of a no-brainer in, in my eyes. Uh, it makes complete sense. I think as we start coming you know, to fruition, we start getting through a lot of these testing phases, um, there will be more of a lighthouse type effect where um, certain oil and gas producers are going to validate our data and our technology and word's going to get around and things are just going to snowball from there. Yeah, it's a pretty bright future right now mm -hmm. in this space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me on ESG Energize and sharing your organization's capabilities with us. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. Okay, folks, Gage McCoy from Cube Energy is joining me. He is the Senior Business Development Manager, and I have been chasing him around to come sit at the microphone because, from what I understand, I did not have the privilege yesterday, but from what I understand, he had a session, a workshop yesterday, and it went over extremely well. The conference organizers were gushing at the number of questions and comments and the, the resulting commentary afterwards. So you're probably going to get invited back next year. Right on. But now i got to know, what the heck were you talking about, dude? What is Cube? <laughs> and, and it's spelled Q-U-B-E. So yep. what is Cube and what the heck were you talking about that you yeah. had everybody just like at the edge of their seats? <laughs> uh, thanks for having me over um, and chasing me down. But uh, no, Cube Technologies is a continuous emissions monitoring solution. Um, we're monitoring for methane and we can monitor for some other uh, gases as well, but <clears throat> major focus on methane and uh, being able to um, measure, detect, and or uh, detect, localize, and, and measure those emissions um, is pretty important. I, uh, the, the presentation was about scaling those technologies. Ah, okay. <clears throat> the, uh, the last few years, I think a lot of operators have dipped their toes into the methane detection marketplace. Yeah, all trying these, different stuff out, all right? All these new technologies keep, uh, keep popping up and they're, and they're hitting the market to... to to help improve operations and help drive down emissions, and um, it's it's really great when you know you have a a couple of sites you're you're monitoring uh, your emissions at, but uh, when you talk about <clears throat> um, maybe 
compliance with a, a, a new quad B rule um, or mitigating risk through a super emitter program? Um, like how do you scale the technology uh, across a couple hundred sites maybe and, and not overburden um, your operations teams and how does the data fit into the workflow? Um, it's, it's really important to get all that right to make sure that there's a, there's a successful deployment at the end of the day. Okay, so let's see if we can't break this down a little bit so we can get a little bit more understanding. When you were talking about scaling, was your talk directly related to what Cube brings to the table and offers, or was it how would you scale in general? Does that make... does? Does that question make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, so uh, I, I tried to make it very generic. There um, you go. Okay. We, uh, um, we, you know, I'm a sales guy, but I, I don't want to give a sales pitch. <laughs> so, well, uh, clearly they were just very engaged with, yeah. with what you had to say. Yeah. So it, was, it could not have been your typical sales pitch. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's um, uh, I, I think the term's getting... Uh, a little worn out now, but <clears throat> there's there's no silver bullet uh, uh, when it comes to the methane detection technologies. Every one of them, they have they have their pros, but they all have their cons. They all have their limitations, and um, <clears throat> uh, layering in multiple uh, technologies across an asset is really kind of how Cube sees. I, I think there's there's facilities where a uh, continuous monitoring solution with a point sensor, which is what we have, um, is is the right choice. But um, maybe there's another facility that's got a higher risk profile and they want a visual solution uh, continuously monitoring. Or, or maybe there's a, a, a really low volume uh, producing facility that you're, you're only getting a quarterly flyover on. Um, so um, analyzing you know, operators analyzing those facilities internally and, you know, putting them in different buckets and then each technology uh, satisfies each each bucket kind of thing. So when you were talking about scaling, you were not talking about this is in the context of if you have this particular point solution, how do you scale that? You were talking about if you have, it, whether you have one point solution or multiple point solutions, how do you manage that holistically mm -hmm. and scale that holistically am I getting it right yeah like how do you <clears throat> how do how do you bring uh, it's, it's a lot of data of course <laughs> yeah it's like mind-boggling it, amount all, of data and it's all kind of it's all presented uh, differently right you've got <clears throat> uh, you know Bridger sitting right next to us they've got a visual solution you can you can see the plume uh, escaping into the atmosphere um, uh, you know Kuva's got the the OGI camera, or it's I don't, it's not OGI. Sorry, but they've got the the camera solution, and uh, um, so they have their place. Um, yeah, Nano's over here with lasers. Yeah. 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 So uh, I kind of lost track of where I was going with that, but it's just they all have their place, I guess. Yeah, with all the say. different types of data mm -hmm. that's coming in. Okay. Yep. So did you have? Uh, again, I'm I'm really upset that I wasn't in that. <laughs> um, do, do you have like, all right, folks, if you're going to scale, here are the top three things that you've got to think about. Did you did you have a way of breaking it down into buckets for people? Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, where I started with 
that presentation was kind of painting the picture of the challenges that exist today um, with existing workflows. Um, it's, uh, you know, if, if you're utilizing it for compliance or you, you're using an OGI camera, uh, which means there's a guy out in the field walking around with a camera, uh, you're manually managing that data, um, but likely in some type of Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so painting, starting, starting with uh, kind of understanding where we are today, um, uh, and then kind of building the case for the, the positives and the negatives of each technology, um, uh, and then finding efficiency. Um, there was one other. There was one other thing. Um, <laughs> I put you on the spot. Yeah, no, uh, uh, finding those efficiencies, and then uh, you know, obviously finding value in all the the technologies that you are scaling with. Okay. All right. So, what would be your biggest piece of advice? Whether it be always think about this in a a future looking way or always try to avoid that is there words of wisdom that you want your audiences to to walk away with i don't i wouldn't i don't know about words of wisdom but i, I think maybe just uh um you know uh, understanding what the the true cost of of uh you know running your program really looks like and ah, and, okay. and cost how, is big. how can you uh you know how can you uh get the most value out of a program and obviously sp spend the least, the, amount, the least doing amount of money it. well yeah that's part of the challenge of scaling right is yep. it is doing it efficiently effectively cost effectively sure right because if not you could definitely just run away with spending mm -hmm. a ridiculous amount of money on these things and we've talked about this with some other folks here at the show, and I talk about this regularly on my show, is that whatever solutions that we put in place, and we have to continue to put more solutions in place, is that we have to make sure that everyone, from small, medium to large-sized companies, have the ability to play financially. Mm -hmm. It can't be something that is just so cost-prohibitive that it's not going to get done. Yeah. So. Very cool. So what else do we need to know about Cube? Give Cube a plug before I let you go. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you don't know, Cube's a, uh, uh, a continuous monitoring solution. We've got a piece of hardware, and then we've got a, uh, an intuitive dashboard uh, where you can view all the data. Um, uh, yeah. What's your geographic footprint? Um, yeah, so we're, we're based in Calgary. Okay. Uh, Canadian company. Um, I, I'm based in Midland, Texas. Um, we've got an office here in Houston, um, but we have uh, we have sensors deployed in just about every major basin across the lower 48. Okay. Uh, we've got deployments in Australia, Oman, and and uh, in, in moving into the the European market. So as the senior to business development manager, your responsibility is lower 48? Uh, no, 
no, we're, we're everywhere. Yeah. Oh, you're so you've got yeah. the whole globe. You are the global <laughs> no. senior business development it, manager. It's, uh, it's uh, whoever wants to have a conversation, we'll talk to them. All right. So can we put a link to Cube in my show notes? Is it is it yeah, qube.com? What is it? What's uh, the yeah qubeiot.com. All right. We're gonna put that in the show notes. Cool. Thank you so much for joining yep. me on the show, Gage. Thank you. Celine Laurent, the Gulf Coast Sales Manager for Cunigy, is joining me now. Celine, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you on the show. So you did not talk to us last year. We sat next to each other for the entire conference in the exhibitor's room, and you sent Alec, your distributor from RS, RMS Controls, to come on the show, and he was actually on Joe's show, The Energy Transition. So you're getting roped in this year. I am, I am. I think he... Uh, I think you managed to convince everyone uh, to get me on the show, and and uh, everyone's just been bullying me. They've been, you know, but they but they're doing it out of love because apparently you are the queen of the know. <laughs> you are the one that can best represent Cunergy and what it is that you guys do. And you're going to have to remind my audience because I'm sure they don't remember from a year ago. Oh well, that's on them then. Oh, that's true. We should that's just true. refer them to Alex and yours uh, uh, episode. It but... was actually on Joe's show, so energy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Transition, yeah, that's right. yeah. So we'll send them back a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's just the most effective. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Qnergy, we provide um, remote power and methane abatement solution. Remote power and methane and abatement. methane methane abatement solution. Yeah. Abatement solution. Okay. We provide Break solutions, not monitoring services. Oh, all right. Yes, no because hate. no hate, but you you've been sitting over there. We're not next to each other this year, but you've been sitting about two booths down listening to all of the others coming on the show talking about this. So, tell me what the difference is. Well, there's definitely a space for um, monitoring and having sensors and no question, no question. No, yeah. yeah, we're just we're just joking around here. Yeah, um, but what Qnergy provides is uh, remote power on sites that aren't connected to grid, and we provide um, air, basically instrument air um, as a plug-and-play solution for infrastructure that want to retrofit from a methane uh, emitting site to an air-driven site. Um, what does that mean? Great question. Um, a lot of well sites right now, they have devices actuating different pneumatic controllers. Um, they've traditionally been uh, using methane and emitting it. So every time the the valves are actuated, it's, it's emitting some sort of methane. Instead of emitting methane, you can use air, but that requires an air compressor. If you have grid power, you can plug in um, air compressors into the grid. If you don't have grid power, you then need remote power. And folks have generators, but generators also can emit, um, well, emissions. So what we're providing is a clean solution. So we can provide the air, we can provide the power, our generators um, can give you up to 6,000 watts, which is more than enough um, to power one of our air compressors out on the site. And it's uh, it's a free piston Stirling engine, so it's an external combustion process, and it's 
basically 100% destruction of methane. It's like 99.9999%. Okay, so I got lost. <laughs> Forgive me. My audience knows that I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier sometimes, um, especially since we were all drinking last night, right? At these yeah, 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 the happy uh, hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what I, what I got lost on was what is the power source for your equipment? Oh, great question. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, for our power gen uh, system, we are taking a fraction of natural gas and then mixing it with air, combusting it externally in a cavity burner. And then we have an engine that's completely sealed off, uh, filled with helium, head down inside the burner. Um, as the helium expands, um, it's creating, uh, it's expanding in pressure. Um, there's a piston and it's oscillating these pistons at 60 hertz, uh, which is pretty violent, um, but we managed to control it. We also have a uh, water jacket around the Sterling engine, and that helps to cool down the helium. So basically, helium's expanding and contracting, expanding, contracting, and that's what's driving these pistons. So ultimately, it's like a linear alternator, Okay. and we can give you power. So if you need power on your sides, you can just get the power gen. If you need the instrument air, you can use the power from the power gen to operate your air compressors. And then what our solution also does is if you just need the air compressors, like let's say your site has grid power, you just you can just plug in our air compressor straight into grid. Okay. All right. Well, see, now I get why it is that they wanted you to come on the show. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, Alex, Alex may be your number one distributor, but uh, I don't think that he represented Kunergy as well as you Oh, just I appreciate did. that. So, is, is he listening? Is it, you know, I, no, he's no, ignoring I, us. He yeah. just turned his back to I us. I know. Jeez. Horrible. Anyway. No, I'm kidding. He's a great guy. <laughs> anyway, Celine, thank you so much for joining me on ESG Energize. Thank you, Delphina. Okay, ESG Energized audience, I now have Dr. Jason Gu with Sensit Technologies. He is the Chief Technology Officer. And Dr. Jason, you were here with us last year. Yes, the show. absolutely. So what is new and exciting at Sensit Technologies since a year ago? Oh, God. I mean... And it feels so far away a year ago, right? It, it sounds like, oh, like yesterday, but I'm thinking it's like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, and so we've done a lot of really exciting work in the past year trying to kind of advance the state of our technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from where we were a year ago to kind of what we currently have. And I think a lot of that work centered around methane quantification, right? I think we talked a little bit last year about how you know a lot of the devices are now measuring methane correctly and people are figuring out how to put these devices out there but then how do you interpret that data right you mm-hmm. see a big spike is it is it a is it a small leak or you know is it a big leak really far away or is it a small leak kind of real close how do you actually interpret that data and so most of our work centered around that so we spent the earlier parts of the year working at um, Colorado State University MeTech Ah. Right? Yes, yes. So I just had oh I'm I'm gonna flub it. I just had a professor Dan. from Yes, Dan. Dan Zimmerly, yeah. He's he's awesome. No, 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 no. Olson. Olson. Ah, okay, good, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Olson. He yeah. was just on the show. We were at the uh gas machinery conference That's right. in Phoenix together. And so he came on 
on the show and gave us a little talk about what he and his students are up to. So, okay, so I'm sorry I interrupted you. So Colorado State University. No worries. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time doing work at Colorado State, and I will gladly put a plug. I mean, that site is awesome in the sense that we can deploy devices there. They can controllably release gas. We get the information of how you know, how much gas they've released. And what the, sensors are you using? So we're using our own devices, okay. right? So we build our own TDLAS laser ah, systems. Okay, okay. Um, and they're closed path. Uh, they go down to about 200 parts per billion of methane. Oh, my, oh, my. Which is very, quite, quite sensitive, yes, yes. right? Um, but the site, you know, and we were part of their ADED testing program, okay. right? Which is a uh, single blind testing protocol where we put our devices out there. They do a bunch of releases, we measure what we measure, and we tell them, hey, we think there's a release. We think there's a release throughout, th you know, three to four months, right? And then at the end, we get all the data of when they released, and then we have our raw data. So we have this kind of really awesome data set of kind of what the raw data looks like of how many PPMs we measure. Okay. And then we can correlate that to specific times that they've actually released five kilograms per hour of methane. Aha. Uh -huh. Right? So then it's just a really awesome data set that we can collect. Um, and it really helps us kind of hone our quantification strategies, right? So the outcome of that study really was we were able to tell people exactly when there was a leak on site. We were able to localize a leak reasonably well. Um, but we kind of just said, hey, the quantification piece is so complicated and we don't really have a good feel for it. And we just didn't participate in that side of it. Okay. Um, but with that data set, we were able to kind of hone our algorithms, right? And actually what we did was we kind of open sourced that data set, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Because like in my mind, the more transparency yeah. you can have, the better. And so we shared that data set, right? All of our raw data um, with, you know, uh, we shared with the U with US EPA, with some um, of uh, friends that I have there, like Eben, Eben Toma and Wyatt and Megan and, and their group there. We shared with a few academic institutions and some of my old collaborators. And we all worked together on, you know, how do we tweak, how do we, you know, apply existing methods? How do we use open source algorithms to get to a point where you can get emissions quantifications and to understand when can you make good emissions quantification estimates and when really you can't. Mm. Right? Because, I mean, everyone talks about, hey, yeah. The thing is working, but there's so many false positives, false negatives. And I think a lot of it comes down to the quality of the data that you're collecting, not from a, is the sensor accurate, but from a, do you have enough wind for the algorithm to work? Is the wind too low? Is there good coupling between your device and, you know, and where the leak source is coming from? Is it pure transport regime? What is the stability class? And what people don't realize is a lot of those things will e-validate the algorithms Right under the right conditions, will you validate the algorithms that give you quantification estimates? But why are we not combining that sensor technology with also some sort of weather? Oh, that's uh, what we're doing. That is 100% okay, okay. what we're doing, All actually. Right. So basically, we have the sensor technology, we have wind speed, wind direction measurements. But the idea, though, is that like even if you have all these measurements, mm -hmm. right? For example, um, and the easy one I can think of is EPA OTM 33A, right? Okay. Which is share with share with my audience what the heck that is. So EPA OTM 33A is a um, a uh, other test method published by the EPA on how you do quantification of gas, right? Of, okay. of of gas when you perform measurements. So basically, they had a van that they were driving around. They would drive downstream of the gas of where the, where the emission was, 
They would take data over time, and then they came out with a method for doing the calculations to give you estimates of the leak rate based on the data that you collect in this van at that one given point. Okay. So it's it's just an algorithm to quantify gas that is published and is a, is in the federal you know, um, test method. And it's a standard database. we can use. It's a, it's a standard anybody can use. You can go download it at, you know, on epa.gov, right? And um, it's probably advisable to go download it, mm-hmm, uh, especially given that the EPA has just given us uh, some direction. Exactly. Just a couple of days ago. Exactly. <laughs> well, and so, so, but but what people don't realize that that within that OTM33A, mm-hmm. right, there is a whole slew of data quality indicators. Okay. Right? So basically, like, um, and when, what they essentially say is, hey, this only works if your wind speed is greater than this. Okay. If your sensor accuracy is to this level. If, God, you know, yeah. like, because I believe, I believe the original data set was done during the day, so it only works during the day. All sorts of these things, right? And you can, and the problem with algorithms, right, is if you feed data in, You'll get a number out at the end, mm-hmm. whether that's accurate or not. No, no, it's a whole <laughs> different, whole different question, right? And so I think a lot of our work, because we had this data from Metech, that is both what our sensor measured, but also exactly how much Metech released, right? So we, it was almost kind of we have our answers, uh-huh. and then we have the answer key, <laughs> uh-huh. right? Okay. And so then what we did was we we applied OTM 33A, we applied you know, um, other types of open source algorithms like uh, BLS modeling, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And we basically looked at when were those algorithms accurate and when were those algorithms not accurate, right? And to try to find patterns around when the data was good for these algorithms and when the data really wasn't that good for these algorithms. Okay, so what's the answer? Oh, I mean... It depends. <laughs> yes, no, it depends, right? That's always... It's Are you a always... consultant? You've got to be a consultant. You're not a chief technology officer. You're a lousy consultant. Um, okay. Well, and so I think, you know, we found various things, like when the wind is low, it's really hard to quantify anything, mm-hmm. right? Um, periods for right after when the wind is low is very hard for to, to quantify stuff okay, as so, well. But, but here's... So the question mm-hmm. is actually, um, you know, broader than that in, mm-hmm. in, in to say... so. I have this information, mm-hmm. and I need to communicate it, but I'm, I'm saying I know that this data is not accurate for this time period because it was, you know, the wind was blowing or whatever. Mm-hmm. What do I do mm-hmm. as someone who's attempting to be transparent and mm-hmm. report? What do I do? I simply say, oh, sorry, I, didn't, I don't have information for that period of time. And so... The way that we typically report, right, uh-huh. from that side of it, um, is that we say, hey, we have the raw data, right? We know various things about the operations of oil and gas sites, right? And that leaks don't get smaller typically, right? <laughs> you know, it's like there's no magic leak fairy running around fixing leaks, right? Okay. Um, so, and typically, like, you know, if you think about the times, right, almost anywhere in the world where you're saying, hey, the wind's too low for quantification, um, it's not too low for a month at a time, right? It's too low for a couple of hours, and the wind picks up. That's okay, just... so what we're doing is where we normalize the data, or we say, um, mm-hmm. in in these circumstances, this would be a baseline, right? That we could, you know, right? Exactly. Use a... And typically, what well, the, the way that we like to think about it is there's 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 caveats and there's asterisks, right? Uh huh. And you were saying, look, 
at these points, we're getting good estimates, right? And we think the conditions are right to have good estimates. At this point, we can get you an estimate, but the conditions really aren't that good, mm-hmm. right? Or really, we can't get you an estimate because the condition is awful. Okay, right? so let's look at it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting it. I'm yeah. getting it. Are we applying perhaps an 80-20 rule that says 80% of the time we know that we have good data and 20% of the time we don't? And so if I'm somebody that is, what, what my goal is going to be, I'm an operator, mm-hmm. my goal is, is I want to be transparent mm-hmm. about where I am from methane emissions perspective, and mm-hmm. my goal is to reduce that over time, mm-hmm. my, to mitigate when I can, mm-hmm. right? and, which, and then allows me to, over time, uh, you know, reduce. Mm-hmm. So if I'm at least applying an 80-20 rule, it's still giving me a large enough view or a broad mm-hmm. enough view of, of my emissions that I can still prove I am reducing over time. Exactly. And, okay. okay. And, and, and actually, just to, to kind of compound on that a little bit, to, to kind of build on that a little bit, um, I think it's really... Like, you know, like when you're a kid and, uh, you know, you're my, at least my parents and my teachers would always be like, if you don't have some, anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> I think here it's a little bit of, if you don't have something accurate to say, don't say anything. Okay. Right? You know what I mean? Because I like that. Well, because at some point, right. The, and that's really the tricky part of algorithms, right? They, they work the way they work regardless of what it is, and they're only as smart as what you build it to be, mm-hmm. right? So if I have all this data and there is some hidden data quality indicator that we don't know about, mm-hmm. right, that's making it very tough to estimate correctly what the, what the methane emission actually is, yeah. right? Then, don't make it up. Well, and the algorithm will spit you out a number and it will be bad. Right. And so the idea that we are really thinking about, right, is and that's why, you know, is really around how do we know when are we saying something nice? Right. How do we know when are we saying something accurate? And it's a it's a work in progress, like admittedly. Right. Um, It's just it's a hard problem. Mm -hmm. Right. But you can see how this data set from MeTech is really helping with all this. Right. And we've made that available to very various academics and really people who would are interested are welcome to contact me and we will gladly share. Um, Well, we're, we're definitely going to be putting uh, an access to your website in the show notes yeah, so that people can reach out to you guys. Yeah. And then, and like, but I think, you know, as a group, right. Like, we've, uh, like the way I think about it is we haven't really stuck to that rule a lot of times as a group as vendors and right. Is that, you know, and there is this expectation, right. From our customers, right. That, oh my God, I'm going to get this plot and it's going to be like emission, emission is going to go up and it's going to see it go up and come down. And really like, you know, when you think about it from a, from a sensor perspective, it always give you a number and that number is probably pretty accurate. Right. Yeah. But if you think about it from an emission perspective, that's not always true in the sense that you might not always be under correct environmental and atmospheric conditions to give you an accurate number. And so in that sense, right, from an expectations of solutions perspective, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. people just might need to kind of tamper their expectations and saying, look, you know, I get that this system should be giving me an emissions number all the time, but maybe having an emissions number all the time is not always beneficial. Okay. Right. Yep. And people love thinking through, oh, I'm just going to take this average and I'm going to do this integration underneath this curve that people are giving us. But to understand that maybe when my curve is not 
accurate, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. better to exclude that and to apply some common sense to it, right? Like, for example, leaks don't magically disappear in oil and gas <laughs> assets. So if, if the last time I had a good estimate, it was, you know, X, and then I have a chunk where there's, I can't get data, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be taking X and the averaging was zero. Right, I should, be, right. I, I should assume, and then, and then, and then the, the next time I can get good measurements, I'm measuring X again, I should make an assumption of, okay, well, between the two is probably also X, X yeah. right? Now, I think the way to think about that, though, is to make that type of approach um, applicable, mm-hmm. right, and acceptable, the, the onus is on us as solution providers to be wildly transparent, right? Because if you think about it from an end customer to like a public, like, you know, from, from us to end customer, like a oil gas provider or, 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 or a producer to public or regulatory bodies, if you're like, hey, data, 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 no data, you can imagine kind of the thoughts that that elicits, right? Oh yeah. my God, you're trying to hide something, right? Yeah. And so from that side of it, it, the onus is really on us as solution providers to be wildly transparent, right? Mm-hmm hey, data, 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 this is the data we're getting. These are the data quality indicators that we're reading. This is how we're calculating it to the point where I can give you an Excel sheet and you can do it. This is why we're not doing it and these are the reasoning and then this is why it's coming back, right? And for us to be you know, really transparent about this is how we're going about it so that when someone asks, well, why don't you have data here? You could be like, well, this is what the wind speed was. It dropped below okay. 0.1, which means that you're gonna, you know, you're going from transport limited to puff flow, which means that it's hard for us to have an accurate measurement of that, right? And if you can be transparent and kind of open the kimono and for people to be able to, be able to audit that, right, from a regulatory body, right. then it becomes interesting and acceptable as opposed to you're hiding something, you know, yeah. if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So is part of your not your personal job, maybe it is your personal job, but the job of, of members of your organization is to, to sit down with your customers and help them get their minds wrapped around that way of thinking. And actually, so I think it's probably my beyond job, right? It's probably my personal passion. Oh, okay. You know, okay. Um, because, you know, it's one of those things, right, where everybody, we would all love a simplified view of the world, right? I mean, we've all taken physics and, you know, (laughs) thinking about throwing a ball against the wall and Newton's laws, right? But it turns out that the world is not so simple sometimes. And you had quantum mechanics, you have all these things, right? And so the idea is really as an industry, right? To, you know, I mean, we have a lot of other vendors, you know, in in this room right now. Mm -hmm. And you can think of, of us as being competitive, but on some level, we're all cooperative too, and that we're all trying to resolve a very challenging problem for the world, yeah. right? And so in that sense, it's for us to educate, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you were in high school and you never, you're like chemist, I, I have a lot of high school analogies, if you okay. can't tell. Okay. Uh, but you know, but it's like, it's like, I was just talking to someone, he's like, man, in high school, I hated chemistry and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you like it now? He's like, oh, I love it. It's fascinating. And I'm like, well, what's the difference? Like, well, cause I know, I know what it's used for now, yeah. right? It's like when you're you're like great hydrogen and oxygen makes water awesome. What is? When what, am I what, ever going to need to know that? Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, from from this side of it, right? Like I can see from an end user and a customer perspective. You know, dude, just just give me a number. 
right? <laughs> um, and and I think it's really on us as solution providers to not give into that and yeah. to really challenge ourselves to uh, to 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 educate, mm-hmm. right? On look, we're not giving them because of X, Y, and Z, you know, and not hide behind a well, proprietary algorithm, right? Yeah. And so that's why most of our work is focused on open source, like OTM33A. You can go to epa.gov. You can download it. There's what, what, and full disclosure, right? What we use is the point source Gaussian appendix to OTM33A. So you can download the OTM33A, and there's a link for the appendices. You can find the PSG appendices in there, and you can do exactly what we did, right? And I'll have a little bit of a time tomorrow to talk about it here. Um, so are you giving a talk tomorrow? Well, I'm giving, I think, like, as an exhibitor, we have, like, a short... 10-minute kind of overview. And I think I'm going to use my time to talk about open source methods for quantification. You know, and the other side of it is, you know, like for the BLS models, you know, we use Wintrax, right? Which you can go uh, to the website and download it yourself today, right now. And you can run those models that we've been running. It's, you know, and so the idea is to be totally transparent and we can go have access to it. And from there start with this kind of thinking around what quality indicators do we need and what education do we need around it so that people understand, hey, you're not giving us data, be- not because you're trying to hide something, but you're not giving us data because really it's hard to estimate. Yeah, I think that's really a, um, an important point, and mm-hmm. especially especially now that you know, it's been a year since the la- since the first methane mitigation conference. This is now just the second. Mm-hmm. We've really come a long way. To your point that you just made is that even though there are competitors in this room, people really are sharing mm-hmm. to be able to get to a better answer. But with more and more pressure being put on those in control of leaking assets, mm-hmm. right, that we do have to find a way that we can mitigate mm-hmm. the the methane in a way where we're all kind of on an even playing field and we're all being transparent and you know not not really not trying to hide anything and so, absolutely so I think it's just in- incredibly important no I think that's where I think we get to too is the fact that look we have to be able to come up with numbers and data that we can trust, right? That we can trust, exactly. And, and you know, and so, like, if, if, you know, and I mean, I've been in the industry for quite some time with with two two distinct stents, right? And, like, I remember way back in, like, the early 2010s when, you know, we, we were all kind of putting random sensors out there, and can you really trust that <laughs> this sensor is giving you the right number, and can you really trust it still gives you the right number a month later or two months later or five months later? And yeah. What, you know, winter rains and we went through all these struggles, right? And I think at this point, right, like especially with the laser systems, yeah. the data is quite trustworthy mm-hmm. on this is how much PPM there is. But the interest is not PPM, right? It's PPM or kilograms per hour. Exactly. And so we need to have the same level of transparency, the same level of let's all work together yeah. such that we can get to trustable kilograms per hour numbers and to not say anything when we just, you know, we're pretty sure this data, like, the wind's too low, so we're not going to get you a number. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, the, and, it, and it makes sense because this industry, while the exhibitors in this room mm-hmm. might be competitors, oil and gas companies are not competitors. They're delivering a commodity, an mm-hmm. energy. So, you know, it's, it's not that my oil coming out of the ground 
is better than your oil, and so I have to be able to say something around my methane mitigation because you're not going to buy my oil. It's it's a commodity, mm-hmm. for gosh sakes, right? So it's it behooves us all to uh, just get to reducing the the overall challenge. Oh, absolutely, and and I think even from a from an information perspective, right? Yeah. And and to your point, I mean, at some point, information is a commodity, right? And mm-hmm. I think the faster we can get there. Yeah. the better it is for everyone where we can now be able to say look we know this is what we're measuring we know this is what it means yeah. and we know when it doesn't mean anything <laughs> and, and and beyond that right like you know we can all go think about bigger and better things right yeah. like that's the that's the thing is let, let let's solve this challenge you know i want to see a future where there's oil and gas you know because it's i think a huge part of our energy future it is and there's no question that there are some that would like to think otherwise, but we all know the truth. Agreed. Well, Jason, Dr. Jason, thank you so much <laughs> for joining me on this portion of ESG Energized. Thank you so much. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.